Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. If you want a title for um, the sermon for today, um, the title is The Silent Killer. The Silent Killer. Well, I'll tell you a, a personal story. Um, sometime in 2014, um, I rushed into the, the lounge upstairs and um, Doc and uh, Shola were sitting in the lounge, um, and Doc was doing her medicals. Um, I'm sure we all know that Doc is our go-to doctor, and we're blessed with a whole um, number of doctors in church who, you know, we can, we, we can call at any time, and Doc would be our first point of reference. So he was taking... Shola's medicals, and he was actually taking her blood pressure with one of those blood pressure monitors. And I rushed in, and both of them looked up at me. I, I rushed in to use the restroom to go out. It was one of those f frenetic days uh, where you have multiple meetings. And, and um, I remember coming in, and both, both one of them, I'm not sure who it was, said, I think it might have been Shola, I'm not sure. I think it was actually, now I think back, said, oh, let Doc take my blood pressure. And I said, no, 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 I don't have time for that. I need to just use the restroom. And I reeled out the many things I had to do. Um, and then she joked and said that, in any case, my blood pressure will be as low as low gets. Because she said, because of how I am, I don't stress. I don't fret. Uh, thank God for that. I don't I don't do the whole anxiety, worry thing. I don't. Um, I sleep well, even in the midst of a storm. Um, I eat well, even when there's trouble. In fact, when there's a lot of trouble, that's when I enjoy my food more. Um, I sleep very well. You know, uh, sometimes when people have found out what we're dealing with and coping with, they're amazed um, because I sleep very well. So I don't do stress. And then Shola joked and said that the only time that anything might stress him is watching Chelsea play football. That's about the only time that I thought my blood pressure would rise, just watching Chelsea play and when they're not playing well. But then Doc said, oh, no, let me just do it. I'll do it quick before you go. And I was a bit, Doc, I need to go. But he said, let me do it. So he puts on the monitor on me and takes my, the first reading of my blood pressure. And he says, can he do a second one? He does a second one. And then he says, can he do a third one? He does a third one. And, you know, if you know Doc, you can't tell what is on his mind. That's why he was a Capone in those days. You can't tell what is on his mind. So, but I know, because I know him so well, I noticed that his facial expressions had changed. So I said, is everything okay? He said, can I do a fourth one? So he did a fourth one. And then he just turned around to me and he switched from being my friend and, you know, we worked together and he just became a doctor. He says, you need to go to a hospital now. I said, what's wrong? He says, you need to get to see a doctor now. I said, doc, what's wrong? He said, you really shouldn't be walking around with these readings I'm getting. So I said, what's going on? Anyway, I rush off to the hospital and they find out that I have a ridiculously high blood pressure. Um, if, they hadn't, if that incident hadn't taken place, more likely than not, I would have had a heart attack, had a stroke, fallen down somewhere, and passed on. So, of course, I get to the, the hospital, and they, they, they do all their stuff, and they put me on medication, you know, two, it's now three, tiny tablets that I take every single day and have done so since 2014. Now, it's not that I'm not a man of faith. I'm a man of faith. You're sitting here because we had faith to believe God that the little seed would become this. Not that I'm not a man of prayer. I'm a man of prayer. But 
If I hadn't found out, I possibly could have gone to heaven sooner than was planned for me. Because you see, high blood pressure is a, is a silent killer. That's what they call it, the silent killer. One in four people in the United Kingdom has high blood pressure. One in four. So one, two, three, four. One person has high blood pressure. One, two, three, four. One of you has high blood pressure. One, two, three, four. One of you has high blood pressure. And sometimes people don't know that they have high blood pressure. You know, it's not even the high blood pressure that's the issue. It's what it leads to that's the issue. The hardening of the arteries, the vessels. And the result of that could be a stroke, a heart attack, um, could be vascular dementia. Uh, the list is endless. Uh, kidney problems, kidney disease, simply because of the high blood pressure. And I found out that when I got to the hospital, they asked me all the questions. And we found that I, I, I told them that my, my, my mother died of a stroke from high blood pressure. That's why she died. My father is 90. He has high blood pressure. He meticulously takes his medication because my father wants to live to 190 if you give him the chance. He loves life. He loves food. He loves life, pleasure, enjoyment. But my mom was careless. You know, she'd take it and then forget it and take it. And she got a, she got a stroke and eventually died from the stroke. And I've, I told the doctor that most of my family has high blood pressure. Um, so he told me that he, 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 he believes it's genetics. Yeah, it's something that is inherent. Um, I know you say we should bind it and lose it and cast it out. We have been binding and losing and casting out. But I take the medication, which is the miracle of God, just so that I finish the assignment of God here. And you know, the thing is, with high blood pressure is that it's a silent killer. And Doc was reminding me about how um, we had a, one of those medical things in church. And they're planning one. Our, med, our medics here are planning one two weeks from now. And when we had it, we asked all the guys to come. I think it was at our men's conference, our mandate conference. We said, guys, you know, check your high blood pressure. There was a guy who had a high blood pressure in this church of 220 over what? Over 160. He was living, but he was dead. If we had not checked on that day, I don't know how long he would have had to live. Of course, he left here and was rushed straight to the hospital um, to manage it. There are certain things that make you at risk with regards to high blood pressure. This silent killer. There are certain things that make you at risk. If you are overweight, yeah, and everybody should know their BMI, their body mass, BMI, body mass index. Everybody should know your BMI. Um, because your BMI will tell you whether you're at risk. If you're overweight, you're at risk. If you eat too much salt, you know, you know, you know how you just pour the salt on it? It's just hastening high blood pressure. If you, this silent killer, if you don't eat enough fruit and veg, if you don't do enough exercise, and they tell us you need 30 minutes of exercise at least three times a day, minimum, um, and, and frankly, if you can do it every day, it helps. If you don't do enough exercise, and you don't, you don't necessarily have to go to a gym. Just, you know, getting up and doing things in your house, walking up and down the stairs, um, you know, getting one of those watches that tells you how many steps you make. Instead of buying another bag or another pair of shoes, buy a watch that helps you stay alive and tells you how many steps. You plan the steps you're making in the, in the day. You don't even have to go to a gym. Just, just kind of do stuff. Go up and down the stairs. When you get the chance, if there's a lift, take the stairs. Just little things like that make a difference. If you don't do any exercise, then you're, you're at risk. If you drink too much alcohol, you're at risk. If you drink coffee excessively or caffeine-based drinks, not just coffee, you're at risk. If you smoke, you're at risk. If you don't get much sleep or you have disturbed sleep, you're at risk. Don't fool yourself and say, I, I, I was doing vigils every day praying. You pray yourself into heaven. 
That's what will happen. When you get there, they will tell you that you shouldn't have come. It's all this ex- all nights you say you were praying. There's nothing wrong with a vigil now and again. But as a lifestyle, you are at risk. If you are over 65, you are at risk. If you have a family history of it, relations who have it, siblings, parents who have it, you are at risk. If you are black African, just being black African, or if you are black Caribbean, somebody now says, I wish I was Asian at this point in time, or I wish I was Caucasian. Just being black African or black Caribbean, you're at risk. And at at a certain age, definitely at risk. And you know, the thing with this silent killer is that it doesn't have symptoms seemingly. That's why it's called the silent killer. Until it crosses over into the dangerous phase. Doesn't have symptoms. You're walking around normally. I mean, look at that guy. 220 over 160. You might not understand that, but the doctors here who understand it are going to be thinking, that guy is dead. It's just the grace of God that brought him to a mandate men's conference in Jesus' house. And we were checking the blood pressures of the guy, and he found out. Otherwise, that guy is dead. So it generally doesn't have symptoms. But when it crosses over into the dangerous phase, the symptoms start to show. Headaches that are incessant. Blood, a blood vision. Nosebleeds. A shortness of breath. Chest pains. A dizziness. All those things would tell any of the doctors that the moment they see these things or they, they hear these are the symptoms, the first thing they want to do is check your blood pressure. Now that's a natural silent killer. Today I wanted to talk about a spiritual silent killer. And it has symptoms as well, this spiritual silent killer. And unfortunately, some people have crossed over into the dangerous territory where the symptoms have flared up. This spiritual silent killer I'm talking about, can, you can have it, this virus, this disease. And the symptoms won't show for a while. But when the symptoms start to show, it's entered the dangerous territory. And what are these symptoms? When your Christian walk has become routine, mundane, ordinary, especially when you know it has not always been the case, like the letter to the church in Revelations, you really remember when you had your first love, when you were excited about your faith, when you had fire about your faith, zeal for the things of God. When you couldn't wait to get to church, when you woke up on a Sunday morning and just the thought that you were going to be in a community of believers worshiping God brought a broad smile to your face. But that's no longer the case. It's entered the routine and the mundane and the ordinary. It's actually become lifeless. So you're going through the motions because of common sense, because you know that I should do it, but it's no longer fueled by zeal and passion and fire. You're no longer excited about the things of God. What are these other symptoms? When you no longer take steps of faith, when all your faith stories are in the past. When you sit down with people and you want to tell them how you trusted God, held on to God, believed God, took a giant step of faith, but all the stories are about yesteryears. There are no new stories anymore about you trusting God, leaning on God, holding on to God alone. If the truth be told, you are at a place where You have become so cautious. Your intellect has taken over. 
Your decision-making is based purely on your mind and your senses. You constantly are telling yourself not to be excessive. You don't have to be too fanatical about it. You have to weigh these things. Let's be measured. Gone are the days when you just believed God and took a leap of faith. Knowing that if God didn't catch you, you were going to crash. Now you can't do that anymore. There's too much at stake. Too much to lose. And so your Christian walk has become one that is devoid of faith or trust in God. When you're anxious and worried about the things in life or about life itself, anxiety has become a companion. Yes, you come to church. Yes, you sing the songs. But if we could measure the anxiety level in your life, it is so high. You're anxious about everything. Anxious about life. Anxious about the cost of living. Anxious about your, your pension. I was talking to a young 20-something-year-old um, um, person, young 27-year-old boy, 20-something-year-old, early 20s. And he was worried about his pension. I said, you are 24, all of 24. What, what do you know about pension? But it's the way the world is now. They are being told at an early stage, you have to have security, financial security. And so they are, they, are, they, are, they are stressing. The whole concept of sufficient unto the days, the trouble thereof, is an alien concept. They are worried about health. People are worried about their health, worried about their future, worried about children, worried about children that have not yet been born. They are not even married. They are worrying about children that are not yet born. Stressing and fretting as a constant companion. They are worried about the children God has blessed them with. A blessing has become a focal point of anxiety and worry. The other symptoms... You have dropped off with regard to your service in the house of God. <laughs> I see this all the time. In fact, in the last six months, last year, I've seen a lot of it. It's as if God wants to show me. We have events where we celebrate. And I see people come. And I remember them. This guy was on fire. This guy was always in the house of, Lord, house of the Lord. This guy was in the choir. This was an usher. This was a marshal. These were guys you could trust. They took it on. This one was in hospitality. But now I don't see them again until cer ceremonial occasions. And then sheepishly they come to say hello to me gu with guilt. And I'm thinking it's okay. As long as you're serving in some other church with the same fire and zeal and passion that I know you had. But I know in most cases that's not the case. They've dropped off. It's almost like people, the enemy wants us to feel that the older you get, the less you serve God. No. Till I die, I will be serving God with the same zeal and passion that I have. Till I die. I haven't been promoted to a place of not serving God. The psalmist exemplifies it. As king, he was still saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now I see people in church who were at the forefront, manning cameras, Serving in hospitality, serving in, in the cafe, doing all kinds of things. People who, when you didn't give them something to do, they found something to do because they understood that it's not the work of a man. It's the business of our father. It's the house of our father. And I have a responsibility. 
But now I see them backbenchers when they do come. And COVID has made it worse, the pandemic. Because now you have a whole generation of people who don't come to church at all. Not because they are far away from church, but because it has become convenient. It's convenient to wake up, not have a bath, wear a t-shirt, fry an egg sunny side up with a, run, with a runny yolk, get some toast. And as they are saying opening prayer, you're not even involved because you're watching the toaster to make sure the toast is not burnt. Then while they are worshiping, as they hit a level spiritually, you're not there with them because at that point you're dipping the bread into the runny toast to put it in your mouth. That's what has happened. They're half listening to what Doc is saying when he's preaching and half not listening. Without realizing some virus has set in. They've dropped off without realizing. Gone are the days when they would wake up with purpose, intent. Where are you rushing off to? To the house of the Lord. And it's nothing against those who are watching online. You can be watching at home, but still have intent and purpose. Because you're going to the house of the Lord. Where, you, where people are no longer giving of their time and their treasure and their talent is diminished. They are too busy chasing a career, trying to earn more money, to buy more things that they don't need to impress people who don't really care about them. Consumed. Amazon has become the cathedral of worship. People know more about how to buy something on Amazon and they don't know what the first book of the Bible is and the last book of the Bible is. They think Habakkuk is the latest cologne by Amani. They don't realize the book in the Bible. They are measured in their giving now. The days when we give everything that we had and cried, those are alien concepts. Sacrificial giving, what is that? We give what we can manage. The days when generally we shut down our accounts and gave and gave cars and gave everything. Crazy bunch of people. But rewarded by God. We are where we are because of the sacrifices that we made. Those days are gone. I can give you a bit, but I can't touch my eyes, sir. And don't go near my crypto. Everything I give is measured. If the Holy Spirit says give more, you must be Satan. Because I'm not listening to that voice. We struggle over our tithes. They, you ask, is it gross or net? I don't know. You give gross or give net, whatever you want to do. Let the Spirit tell you. Somebody asked me, is it gross or net? I said, I don't know. Somebody says, is, is, is the law. I said, Abraham's blessings are mine. Is that the law or grace? He said, no, that one is grace. I said, don't choose some. Take everything. But it's where the world finds itself. They'll give all their talent to a secular job. And that's not bad. But give, give even if it's the dregs of the talent, give it to the work of the Lord. That's why you're gifted in IT. So that you can be a blessing to the advance of the kingdom. That's why you're gifted as a marketer. So that you can help the church put the gospel out. That's why you're gifted as a writer. 
so you can help the kingdom of God advance. Of course, you're there on the mountain as salt and light. But then what about the house of God? When you struggle with the spiritual disciplines, struggle with bi- bi- the bi- reading the Bible, the bane of the church today is that we have a church where people don't read the Bible. It is, it is it's driving me almost round the bend. When people don't read the Bible, they are open to be manipulated by all kinds of vagrants of which there are many. And the Bible says so. As we come towards the end times, there will be a proliferation of false teachers and false prophets. It is our responsibility to discern who is genuine from who is false. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing that stops anybody from doing what I'm doing. We don't have a way of saying this person is not qualified to do what I'm doing. If any of you wants, you can go and rent the hall down, get a pulpit, put a name outside, Overcomers International Ministry, signs and wonders abound here, miracles you can get for free. You can come here, collect your wife, collect your husband, collect your child, collect your million, come here, and then you will have people. People will come. Because the Bible says towards the end days, end times, they will have itching ears. So it is your responsibility to know that this is a con man or con woman. And there are many out there. But if you don't read the Bible, you can't know. You know, people, people, I'm fascinated. People say to me, oh, pastor, do you know so and so? I say, who is he? Ah, they say he's a powerful man of God. I say, really, what makes him powerful? They say he sees. I say, what does he see? He says, Pastor, he sees who? Ah, that man, he sees. I say, what does he see? Are you blind? Do you need somebody to see for you? You don't. People want to hear God speak. I say to them, stop looking for the audible voice of God. Everything that he wants to say, he has written in a book. He gave you the book. He put the author of the book in your heart so that just in case you don't understand what he's saying to you in the book, the author will translate it reveal it to you. So all this running around looking for people to tell you, you will fall into a ditch. I don't want anybody to tell me what God said. Let me read it first. Then come and confirm to me what God is saying. The church is in state it is because nobody, nobody reads the Bible anymore. We want it as quick and as short as possible. Reduce the whole of Deuteronomy into one one bite-sized comment. No, read Deuteronomy. The symptoms are there. Worship is dry. You're distracted in worship. The words don't mean anything. You can't wait for it to finish. Your spirit is not stirred in worship. These are all symptoms. Not to talk about prayer. Prayer is a no-no. When people can't pray for up to 20 minutes, 30 minutes, there's a problem. When prayer has become dull, I mean, how can talking to God become dull? It shows you there's a problem. These are symptoms of a deeper disease. You're not excited about your faith. So excited that you want to tell everyone. That's how our faith is supposed to be. So when they caught the disciples and they said, they beat them and said, don't speak about this Jesus again. They beat them, beat them black and blue. Guess what? The disciples came out and the first thing they did, they started talking about Jesus. When was the last time you shared about your faith with anybody? You you work in an office, nobody even knows you're a Christian. Nobody knows what you do on Sunday. You're almost embarrassed about who you are. Not to talk about telling anybody about it. And nobody's saying you should go and become a preacher. No. I always say to people, I might not be able to preach, but I can tell you my story. 
My story, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Let me tell you how it happened. Everybody can do that. But when, you don't, when you're no longer in that space, when you're not sharing testimonies, your testimony, when you don't have a burden for those who are not yet saved, you don't have a burden for them. It's one of two things. It's either you don't believe the Bible or this sickness I'm talking about, has the disease has spread. Because if you believe the Bible, then you must accept that it ends up in an afterlife. The afterlife is in two places, heaven and hell. So it is, it is mind-blowing that you have a father you have a brother, a mother, a sister, a sibling. You have a close friend, a colleague, a boss who has not guaranteed that they will end up in the afterlife in heaven. And you can just sleep. The thought for me that a member of my family will not end up in heaven drives me to the place of prayer. I can't just conceptualize it. What I read about the other place I don't even want my enemy in the other place. But when the disease has afflicted you, you can get on with life. Not being burdened or concerned. You're struggling with fear. Fear of the future. Fear of the cost of living crisis. Fear of inflation. Fear that your eyesight will not, will not save you. Fear that you won't buy a house. You won't get on the property ladder. You're struggling with all kinds of fear. Fear of sickness. Fear of disease. You get a letter from the hospital. Your, 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 your heart just explodes. And they're just calling you for something routine. Or asking you to change your address. Fear of failure. Do you know how many people are driven by fear of failure? Especially a younger generation who have set standards for themselves and I'm saying, these are ridiculous standards. You are going to fail. You meet a young person who's 25, he's already gone through four jobs. I said, what are you looking for in four jobs? By 25, what are you searching for? What are you chasing? More money, a bigger title, a nicer car. The whole concept of contentment is alien. Trying to live like the Joneses, be like your friends. They buy a new car, you want the, latest, the later model. You buy the later model, you, two years time, the car makers bring out a new model. You, you drive yours and you are depressed because yours looks like the old model. Contentment is gone out of the window. The younger generation living a life that is driven by social media. It's, it's an exercise in futility. It must end in failure. I want to say to some of the young ladies, you can't look like Jennifer Lopez, Kardashian and all. You can't. Look at you. It's not possible. You have to cut, shave, stitch, nip. And, and even after that, you just look like a caricature, a masquerade. You give up. Just, just be content with the, being the best of who you are. <laughs> the, the stress. Is it any wonder that this, this generation has such mental health issues? You would if you were like them. When we were growing up, we measured ourselves against the neighbor on the street. And the neighbor on the street was like us. So the distance between them and us was not too much. I remember growing up, and we had a neighbor. Uh, uh, in our house, they gave us food in a plastic plate. Rice, stew, and two pieces of meat. I don't know if anybody from those days understands that. But our neighbor down the road, they used to eat like they were in a restaurant. They had a lazy Susie. You know that thing you roll around? In a house. And I'll never forget, they would eat. You know, you can be wounded by certain things. I can remember this thing clearly. 
When we go there for lunch, they would eat curry. I'd never seen curry with all those condiments. And there'd be different things. So you put the curry chicken, then you take some onions, you take some nuts, you take some tomato. When I go home, they'll bring this rice with, with two pieces of meat and red stew. And I used to be irritated with my house. This generation are not measuring themselves with the neighbor next door. They are sitting at home and measuring themselves with Kardashian. So no matter what they have on their table, when they see the spread on all these people they are following on social media, they hate themselves. When they see the, 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 the nose of the person after plenty plastic surgery, their own squat nose, they want to cut it off. When they see the clothes they are wearing, they go and get another credit card. Max it out. So the pressure. And then when they see their friends, I mean, you know, to propose for this generation is a production. I don't know if you've seen any of those proposals that they put on social media. Production. My God. I wish they would come to church and help us with our Easter production because they do so well. Production. Everything is planned. Choreographed. Then they record it and put it on social media. They have not done marriage counseling. They are not caring about how the marriage will survive. The important thing is this. I went to a wedding. They finished the service. For the next three hours, we were waiting. I said, what is going on? They said they are taking pictures. Ah. I said, have these people lost their mind? They are keeping us waiting here so they can get the right pictures for themselves. At least allow us to be eating. Take your pictures so we can go home. But that shows you the mindset. It's so that they can post those pictures. Then their, their friends will be envious. So, so now they're outdoing themselves with proposals. This one knelt down. The other one lay down. The other one came from a helicopter. The other one came on a boat. It's true. I've seen all these things. The other one was rowing on a boat. I said, but you not cap- capsize, die, die inside this water to propose to this girl. And then the sad thing is that within one year, the marriage is over. Two years. Now they've finished everything. They've rowed. They've fallen. They've, uh, they've come from helicopter. They've driven the car fast inside. I'd say, I'm waiting to see now what, they, what, ne- what next they're going to do. Maybe something will come from outer space to come and bring the ring of the person. No contentment anymore. Godliness with contentment, an ancient concept. Where you find loving others challenging. So challenging. You, do, you constantly have relationships breaking up. Everybody in your family is the problem. You don't like your auntie. You don't like your uncle. You're quarreling with your siblings. You're just quarreling with people. You come to Jesus' house. You say it's not a friendly church. No. You are the problem. If you want to, be fr- if you want to have friends, the Bible says make yourself friendly. So this church is not welcoming. They're all in cliques. No. Go and break the clique. Introduce yourself. Find out where you can plug in. I said to them in the first service, I have no problem with friends. I, I have too many. But it's because I've chosen to invest in the friendships. You won't call anybody. You won't go to visit anybody. You won't think of anybody. You won't consider anybody. You won't prefer anybody. You come to church, park your nice car, sit down, go into your car. You say, Jesus' house is unfriendly. Who did you say hello to? They know you in the family. Once you come in, they know that this place was peaceful. But she has come in or he has come in. We are going to fight. And then you take joy from it. You say, I'm that kind of person that doesn't take nonsense from anybody. Don't take nonsense from anybody. You don't have joy. These are symptoms. 
They used to call us the happy, clappy people. It was a a derogative term they used to describe us. But I enjoyed being called happy, clappy. In the midst of recession, I'm happy, clappy. When I don't have, I'm happy, clappy. When I have, I'm happy, clappy. When I'm sick, I'm happy, clappy. When I'm healed, I'm happy, clappy. When I, when I was on, going on bus 82, some of you don't realize that. That's how the church started. I, I used to sit on bus 82. I'll never forget bus 82. I knew where it started, where it ended. In those days with my late wife, when I would date her, I would take her to a cafe in somewhere in St. Christopher's Place. We sit on the sidewalk. Tell her, just imagine we're in Italy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I would spend eight pounds, eight, eight pounds eighty. It bought us two pastries and two glasses of Coke. Fantastic date. Now, if you don't take her to Felicini, the latest Italian restaurant, your whole salary, you spend it there. Poor chap. You come out of there broke. She drank everything on the menu, ate everything. Ordered what she couldn't, she couldn't eat, and now you're broke, poor chap, with no sense. Where is joy? Where is the joy of the Lord? Does the Bible not say that's our defense? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So everything doesn't work out perfectly, but I have joy. God will see me through. It hasn't all added up, but I have joy. My joy is not determined by a material thing. More clothes, more designer clothes. The closet is, is suffocating. It's the, the clothes are suffocating. You can't even find them. There are so many that the, the ones behind are so far away. You find out after a while you haven't worn it for, for, for six years because you can't find it. You, they, there are so many now. You've put them in suitcases. The suitcases are like the linen tire of pizza. It will soon fall and kill somebody. Just acquiring more, more. And the, the companies know. So he said, this latest iPhone. Somebody said to me, won't you change your phone? I said, what's wrong with the phone? He said, it's not the latest. Pastor, at your level. I said, what level? I, I don't even understand half the things on the phone. And like I, tell, like I told my wife, I said, all these things we are wearing. I mean, I'll, 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 I'll be talking to my wife. This crazy wristwatch will repeat what I'm saying. I told Shola, is recording everything. One day, Apple will apologize to us that all these are secrets. Shola is in the cloud. One day they will, say, they will say they are sorry. I said, why should it be repeating what I'm telling you? We are both lying in bed. Husband and wife lying in bed, having an intimate moment with each other. Apple wristwatch is telling, repeating what I'm saying to my wife. Who knows whether I'm storing it in the cloud. Then one day they will say it was a mistake. They'll be, the Americans will be suing them. Everybody will be suing everybody. But what Shala and Agu were saying in their room is now in one cloud. And we are rushing to acquire more, more, more. Somebody says he has six phones. I say, what are you doing with six phones? If this is not madness, worshipping at the cathedral of Amazon. So what is the challenge with this sickness? This disease, this silent killer. It is that the central processing unit has been infected by a virus. It starts gently, but very soon the virus spreads and totally corrupts the central processing unit, the command center of a human being. The Bible puts it like this. And stay with me for the next five minutes, please. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. That's what one translation says. Keep your heart. For from that heart, all the issues of life spring. The message puts it like this. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. The New Living Translation says it like this. 
Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of life. And the Passion Translation says it like this. So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Graphic pictures that the Bible paints. That there's a part of a man, a woman, that is central to everything. It's what I call the central processing unit, the command center. The Bible says, guard it. Be diligent concerning it. Protect it. Because the Bible says, whatever is happening in it affects everything else. The Bible says it's, it's a wellspring. And that, that for me painted a graphic picture. So when it's functioning well, the water that is coming out of the wellspring is pure. It's, it's, it's refreshing. It's clean. But when it is not correct, the water has been polluted or corrupted. And what comes out is corrupt. So, of course, if I was the enemy and I wanted to fulfill my ministry, John 10, 10, the thief comes, Jesus tells us to steal, kill, and destroy. I would go for the central processing unit because I know if I can corrupt it, if I can introduce a virus into it, then the virus will eventually take over that unit and everything else is a mess. A person's, the cause of a person's life is changed by introducing that virus. And so the person starts to die. I can kill the person. I can fulfill the ministry of stealing, killing, and destroying by corrupting the heart. And when we think of the heart, that's the, that might be part of the challenge. We tend to think of the physical heart that's beating. Or we think of the emotional heart. My heart fluttered when I saw her. Yeah, like my heart does when I see Shola. Seriously. When I saw her, when I saw her dress today, I said, hey. I said, I said, Iruku, God did you well. I said so to myself. I'm telling you what I shared with myself. She doesn't even know. I looked at her. I thought, mm -mm. I said, God, you did well for me. You, you sorted me out. That's the truth. I said, God, you, you sorted me out well. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the seat of your emotions, your will, and your intellect. The enemy corrupts that. Introduces a virus. And these are the symptoms of the virus. If you have any of these symptoms, like the doctors will say, you need to check whether these symptoms are indicating that there's already a virus. That's why the Bible tells us that there are different kinds of hearts. The Bible talks about a hard heart or a hardened heart. Some people's hearts are just hardened. Like rock. The Bible talks about a stubborn heart. Some people are just stubborn. They just won't. The, th the evidence is plain, but they just choose to be stubborn. The Bible talks about a deceitful heart. The Bible talks about an evil heart. The Bible talks about an unbelieving heart. And that's the paradox of 21st century Christianity. The strange creation, creature, called an unbelieving believer. And that nullifies so much of what God wants to do. The Bible talks about a fearful heart. The Bible talks about a corrupt heart. So if the virus is in there, 
what do we do? Next week, I'll start to tell you about heart surgery. Amen. Amen. And as we end, if you're in here, you're online, you haven't given your heart to him, this is your chance to do so. The futility of life, if your heart is not given to him, the hopelessness of life, the frustrations, the confusion of life where you haven't given your heart to him. I don't want that to be your portion. And so there's someone here who's saying, you know what? Let me even start this journey by giving this heart, no matter the state in which it is in, to him. Next week, we'll start to talk about heart surgery. But he's not going to perform the surgery if the heart is not given to him. So you want to accept him into, the, into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Just say a simple prayer. Mean every word. It's as simple as that. Will you pray with me if you want to? The Bible tells me that he's knocking on the door of your heart. Father, I thank you for today. I open up my heart to you, Lord Jesus. Come in to my heart, Lord Jesus. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I give my life, my heart to you. Give me the grace to live a life that is pleasing to you, to turn away from anything that I'm doing that is not pleasing to you. I commit myself to you this afternoon. Thank you for receiving me into your family. By my confession, my words, I declare that I am now a child of yours. Born today into your family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. You know, in, 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 our, in, our, in our family, when this happens, that's what the Bible tells us. There's a celebration in heaven. So please, you know, in your own way, just celebrate those who've said that prayer. Amen. If you've said that prayer, we're excited that we're in the same family. We have the same father. Uh, he's going to do surgery on all our hearts. Um, and we're excited for what will come out of that surgery that he does on our hearts. Hallelujah.